Oh, we just celebrate God. I want to just read Psalm 100 to you again. Psalm 100 verse 4 says, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Psalms 100, the psalmist creates a posture for the children and for those that are in covenant relationship with God. How are we to enter into his presence? If we translate this to our modern time right now, this would be the perfect recipe for coming to church. Amen? Look at it. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to who? To him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all generations. It makes sense for us not to expect the person that has not tasted and seen that the Lord is good to come through the gates with thanksgiving and with praise. It's understandable because they have yet to experience maybe the salvation that is found in Jesus Christ. But the church of the living God that have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, who's been washed by his blood, and the God of second chances that we just made songs about, it makes sense for that church, for that person, for that person with that comprehension and understanding of what God has done for them through the work of Jesus Christ. This is then the perfect, the perfect recipe for the believer. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and look, and his truth endures to all generations. Now we know something that is true that all generations are not alike, right? Your parents' generation, we call that, you call that the older generation, right? But you know what? Your parents still feel young. Your parents still believe they're in style. They're maybe not in style with your generation, but you know what? They in style with your generation. And you know what's going to happen to you when you get older? You're going to be the older generation. And you're going to be with your cool hip clothes. And you know what your kids are going to do? You know what your kids are going to say? They're going to say, yeah, my parent thinks he's still, he's still fly. My mama thinks she's still fly. My grandpa thinks he still got it. <laughs> and it's true in their generation. But clothes don't, look, clothes don't carry over from generation to generation. And if we're honest, let's tell all these young people who think they got, they found a new style. You're actually rocking like four generations ago, three generations ago. And so if great, great, great granddaddy were here, and be like, I wore that first, son. I told you it was going to come back. I told you I was fly. <laughs> but right, generations, dress code changes. And, and the language changes, right? I said fly. Some people said, what? I don't know what's the word. That's a my term generation. I don't know what's the word that you guys say today. Or I don't really know what my, grand, my dad's word is or my grandfather's word is. And so things change from generation to generation. Hairstyles change, right? Looks change. And also, too, you need to understand this, that when you go from nation to nation, country to country, the culture is, is different even in your generation. And so don't be so closed-minded thinking that your generation is the only generation on planet Earth. And so 
that's okay, things change. But the word of God says this, that truth endures forever. From generation to generation, it is still the same truth. And that also means that, that from nation to nation, it is still the same truth. So whether you're here in America or you go down to South America or you cross to the other continents, it is still the same truth that is enduring through culture and from generation to generation. And so this is why culture can never dictate the truth. And this is why we can't allow our generation of today to try to find a new revelation of truth. What we should be trying to find is the truth that was laid for us. And Jesus said, I will go away, but the spirit of truth will come. Yes. And so if we're looking for truth, truth is out there, but it's not in the generation. It's not in the culture. And it's okay to be part of your culture, and it's okay to be part of your generation. Do that. I was, and I'm in many ways, a, a representation of my culture. But what defines, hear me, a Christian is not his culture and not his generation. It's the enduring truth of the spirit of truth that comes from God. And so what makes us Christians today is not, with the, not even the culture of Christianity is defining your Christianity. It's the truth, the truth. And so we got to trace more than what's on the surface, and we have to go into the truth of our Christianity. And so if you're just here for the first time, we welcome all of our first-time guests. You are absolutely incredible. You are all beautiful. It doesn't matter. Look, your generation, it doesn't matter your culture. The truth is that one God has made us. And so then this is how we're able to embrace those of other nations, those with different cultures, those with different hairstyles, those that might be older and those that might be younger. Because the defining truth is that we are all beautifully and wonderfully made by God, our creator. Look how powerful truth is. It means it forces you when you come under the truth. It forces you to love everyone and to be accepting of everyone. Because in biblical truth, we're all made in the likeness and the image of God. So this has to help us to get past our cultural differences, past the ageism, and, 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 and get past our little world. And so for the past seven weeks, we've been under this theme of Christian. What does it mean to be a Christian? That's a good question if you consider yourself a Christian. I had to face myself in preparation of this series when I say that I'm a Christian. And so our sub theme of this series is this, that to be a Christian means I have a new humanity in Jesus. We have a new humanity in Jesus. That's what it means to be a Christian. Not that I have a new church that I go to, not that I got a new membership, not that I'm a new volunteer, and all of that stuff ends up happening but the foundation of your Christianity is not church. The foundation of our Christianity is not that our parents were Christian. The foundation of our Christianity is that I have a new humanity in Christ Jesus because I personally have chosen him and I have personally accepted the gospel message as my own. Your parent cannot be a Christian for you. Your brother can't be a Christian for you. Your sister can't be a Christian for you. Your great-grandmother's prayers cannot be Christian for you. And that's actually good. That's how much God respects your humanity. That's how much God respects your individuality. Can you imagine if you were a slave to someone else's belief about you? God forbid. 
And so you're not Christian because I'm a Christian. You're not Christian because anyone else is a Christian. God respects you. You are a dignified human being in creation. And God has, this is why God is a personal God, because he wants to reveal himself not only to your grandmother and your grandfather and your 10th generation apostle in the family, but to you. And God wants to enter into relationship and intimacy with you. And so I'm really excited about this series. I believe that this is one of, one of the, the best series that we've done in the 11 years of ministry that focuses on foundational, powerful understandings of what it means to be a Christian. And I would suggest to you that if you know someone who is new in their faith, someone new on their journey, or someone who is just an inquirer of the faith, what does it mean to be a Christian? Because let me tell you, there is an image of Christianity that is being portrayed in our, in our world that is, you know, changes with the coaches. But here in America, there's an image of it. And, and there's, a, there, there's a natural image of Christianity in our world of this. They're all hypocrites. That, that's the general worldview towards Christianity of people who don't believe. Much of their excuse for not wanting to go to the church when you invite them to it, much of their excuse for, for, for not, how does a church that has a message of love, the world doesn't want to be a part of it. The reason why is because those that are in the church who say we're Christians and we associate with the message of love, we're not loving outside of the church. We're not kind outside of the church. And we do miracles here and we throw wheelchairs across the stage and say glory to God. But we're nasty and we're bitter and we're envious and we're jealous and we're impatient. And the world said, I, I, I don't care about those that get out the wheelchairs. You're nasty. And you have a message of love on your sign, and you got, you know, fishes on your cars and crosses on your neck and tattoos of no one can judge me across your chest. And I'm not against any of those things. Get your tattoo. But what I am saying is this, that if we're only Christian here and not out there, then the world doesn't want any part with that. Because they're not trying to gain religious activity on a weekend. That's taken up their weekend. And it makes sense. I wouldn't want my weekend to be taken up either. Just fill it up with time where we do churchy things and we have churchy talk and Christian knees. We all know what to say and churchianity. We all know what to do. But then when we get out into the world, there's no distinction. Do you know what, and we've been talking about this in the series, and it's been themes in our Bible studies and on Encounter Nights. You know what holiness means? Holiness, by definition, is not perfection. It's distinction. Holiness is a separation to be called apart. And so the nation of Israel, this is not part of my message, but this is a good, this is a good foundation to it. But the nation of Israel were called to sanctify themselves, to separate themselves. God called them to be holy, which was to be separate. And all these laws, yes, they had moral laws, they had civil laws, they had laws that, of, of how to interact with your neighbor. All of it was to show a distinction between them and the rest of the nations around them. And so it, 
all the laws in the end were to show that, that this people had a God of wisdom too. And so their holiness was, and their way of living, and what they ate, and what they didn't eat, and how they dressed, and the days that they did things on, and the ceremonies that they celebrated, and all that stuff, was to create a separation of lifestyle between them and the rest of the nations to bring identity to God, Yahweh, who just called them and saved them. And so at First, holiness is about being separate and different. He said, you guys are be a kingdom of priests, a treasure unto me. And so he made them different so the world could see the initial difference of separation. And in that sanctification, then he called them onto righteousness and called them onto morality and called them onto love and called them onto all these things that are that how 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 we would say righteousness is manifested on the surface but it begins with sanctification as a foundation of holiness and so holiness breeds righteousness but in principle there needs to be a distinction and so also in our christianity the foundation is that we are different you gotta, you, we got to understand that, that I am different also the minute that I choose. I choose to believe the gospel and accept Jesus as my personal savior. So, so I am no longer who I am. The difference actually then is possible because I also I, I am no longer who I was. Let's read our theme scripture for the series, which has been uh, 2 Corinthians 517. It's on the screen for you. This is, the, this is the, 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 the theme verse of the entire series. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, right, he is a new creation. You're a new creation. You're already, it, the picture is you're already being separated from who you were. Look, the old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So, so this is foundational to your understanding of when you say you're a Christian. You're not a Christian because you sing loud. You're not a Christian because you sing loud. You sing loud because you're a Christian. Okay? You're not a Christian because you go to church on Sunday and Wednesday and Thursday. No, you go to church on Sunday, Wednesday, and Thursday because you're a Christian. And so there's, there's things that we got to understand in our foundation and, 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 and let the foundation and the seeds of truth sprout out into manifestations of fruit in our lives and actualities and real practices and real ways of being. But, but if you invert that, if you invert that, that's a, that's, it's dangerous and it's difficult, nearly impossible. If you try to change your behavior so that you could become a Christian, nearly impossible. But if you change your nature, who you are, then you'll start to see. And I'm not saying that it's easy, but if we're rooted and grounded in Christ, buried in pure worship, eventually roots will start to get established, a trunk will start to show, branches will start to spread, leaves will start to come out, and fruit will start to manifest. But it all begins with the right foundation. And so Christian series, pass this along to any one of your friends, inquirers, or people kind of lost in their journey. So that's the theme scripture for the series. And this is the seventh week. The first two weeks have been on justification. I'm not going to go over that, go back where it's available for us. 
followed by sanctification, two weeks. Then we did one week on regeneration. And last week we started glorification. These are fundamental truths of Christianity that most people will never talk about. Because when you come into the church, they just want you to come here and just, just get lost in the presence of God. And it's good to get lost in the presence of God. But it's dangerous if you're lost in the presence of God without no foundation of who you are in God. And then you'll come here, and I said this last week, and it'll become a therapy session for you. You know, I came in heavy and I left the light. I came in bound, and boy, do I feel free. And the experience is being tied to that moment, right? There, there is an atmosphere when we come into worship. The Bible says where two or three are gathered together in his name, there he will be in the midst. And so the intention is, yes, for there to be something experimental and experiential when we come here. But that is not, that is, that, that, that is not implying that there is no foundational truth, that there's no truth that has endured through the generation to bring you in so that that experience is actually standing on some kind of foundation. And so the experience also only means something if there's a foundation of truth at the bottom. Because if there's no foundation of truth at the bottom, and we have an experience here that I feel great, and then when you go out there and there's no foundation out there, and then hell breaks against you, trial comes up, sickness in your family, natural death in your family, uh, persecution against you, things not going right at your job, then all of a sudden we fall apart because they're actually not on any any truth, any foundation of truth, and you know what happens? You're like, man, I got to get to church on Thursday so I can feel better. And what happens? You come to church, and the cycle repeats itself, and then Saturday's terrible. Your mother says something wild to you. Your husband does something stupid again, and you're like, oh my God, I need Sunday. And then you come back in, and then the cycle repeats itself. Then you go back to your job, and your boss is possessed by demons and Beelzebub, and you're like, oh my goodness, I can't wait for Bible study. And what's happening to us is that we're living moment to moment rather than living from spirit to spirit on a foundation of God's truth. And foundational truth of God is found in Scripture. Foundational truth is found in Scripture. Be careful where the spirits try to lead you. Be careful where the spirits try to lead you. Because the spirit of truth will try to lead you, but also the spirit of error is already in the world. The spirit of the Antichrist is already in the world. And so what, not everything that feels spiritual is the spirit of truth. How can you distinguish the spirit of truth between the spirit of error? It's, you really can't go back and be like, what's that song we sang on Tuesday again? Uh, and it's not that worship is not important, but worship stands on a foundation of truth. Oh, my goodness. If you're worshiping an era, then what is worship? How many of us were part of our Bible study on Tuesday? If you, on, on when, on when is it? It's Tuesday, okay, Tuesday. How many people love worship? How many people worship is your thing? Oh, not yeah, people are scared to lift up their hands all of a sudden. Like, Pastor's setting me up right now. All right. 
We as a church, we love to worship, don't we? But worship without a foundation of truth is dangerous. The word of God becomes the foundation of our truth. And then worship be, must be manifest from the truth that worship, that, that, then worship must be manifested on the, on the existence of the truth that we have. Okay, now to my sermon. <laughs> and so, our Christianity is based upon the truth of who God is revealed to us. That truth is revealed through scripture. And so we have salvation through the gospel, which is the message of Jesus. But the gospel is not just the cross. Okay, I'm going to bring it together now. The gospel message is just not the cross. The gospel message is the cross, the tomb, and the resurrection. That is, that is the full gospel message. Amen? And, and so... If it's a message, right, and, and gospel comes from euangelion, a, a Greek word meaning good news. If it's good news and it's the gospel, it's a message. And if it's a message, then it means to say something. So if the full gospel is the cross, is the tomb, and the resurrection, it's important that we understand each part of the message. And so look, when we speak in terms of justification, that really refers to the cross. When we speak in terms of sanctification, the process, so justification is to be declared righteous by God. That is possible because of the cross. When we speak about sanctification, which is the actual process of becoming holy, that is because of sanctification, that, 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 that the old man has died. And look, he's dead. We're in the tomb. So when we speak about glorification, glorification is associated with the part of the message of the resurrection. And so, yes, Jesus died on the cross, was buried in a tomb, but he rose on the third day. It doesn't mean he was buried for three days. It means the gospel took place and was fulfilled in three days. One day on a cross, one day in the tomb, and another day he walked right out. And that is what fulfills the gospel message. Why is this important? Because we have to believe the full gospel. We got to believe the full gospel and the full gospel is powerful because it doesn't just tell me that Jesus died and he shed his love, uh, uh, demonstrated through his blood for me. And that's very, very emotional, right? It's the part that really captures people's heart. That's why they start preaching and they start telling you about the love of a father and his creation and that God loved you and that he died for you. You, you feel that. That's that, what, what brings people to confess Christ and say, you know what? I trust you. And they got streams of water down their eyes and and some snot on the side of their mouth. The thing that compels them into that moment is because of the message of the cross, which really attacks someone's heart. And then all of a sudden, there's the message of sanctification. That's the struggle of the mind. I'm like, oh my God. But the sanctification is possible and is beautiful because of regeneration. We've been made new in God. 
And so it seems impossible, but it's not impossible because you no longer are who you were. You're a new man in Jesus Christ. You've been made over in the sin nature. That guy's been crucified, and you've been made alive with Christ, and so you are new. This is why we can say that God is a God of second chances, and we try to explain God that God, you know, he's, he's merciful, and, and he is understanding the foundational truth that you are made new. That's phenomenal. That is incredible theology that I am made new. I have a new mind in Christ. Being renewed, being renewed in the spirit of mind. Do you know what? That implies that you, ha- you have a mind that is being transformed. It's no longer the old mind. And so on earth, we're be- every day, uh, uh, we're trying to be sanctified. Because this, here's another truth. You can't say I have Jesus and I have the blood all over me and Christ is this and that and I'm going to jump in his presence and sing in his, his presence and you're not on a process of sanctification. We would say that's, that's a weak kind of gospel that you're believing. Weak in that it's only momentarily while you're at church. Weak in that it's not doing any transforming work internally in you. And so, no, we believe in a very powerful gospel. You're a new creation, and God is transforming your heart, your mind, your soul. And as a result of that internal work, then there is fruit of the Spirit in terms of your character. Now you have joy, love, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are manifestations of the Spirit. How do we know that someone's been baptized by the Holy Spirit? Not just that they speak in tongues, not just that they prophesy, not just that they have miracles and faith and all this stuff. The the, the first initial evidence is that you have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That is, look, the Bible says the fruit of the Spirit. That's the fruit. That's the that's. That's the evidence, that's the manifestation, that's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's easier to speak in tongues than it is to control your regular mouth against gossip. <laughs> I'm just saying, sometimes it's, it's easier to manipulate a word of wisdom over someone than for you to actually have some real, real deep love for someone. It's easier for me to drop a word in you in the name of God and then not actually love you in real life. Now, of course, those come by the Spirit, but the foundation of the manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit are the fruit and the character of God in the Spirit. And so, again, this is revelation of, by, by truth of the Scriptures. I got to get to the message, but we're already in it. But all of this here, all this striving in, in, in our lifetime right now is because part of the gospel, it's not just the cross. It's not just the tomb where the, the old man is we're keeping him dead in there. <laughs> but part of the gospel, the closing, the significant, the seal of the gospel is the resurrection. And that's what we spoke about last week. So we're going to finish that off. I just have some passages of scripture that I want to read. And I'm re- I I hope I talk so much already. I just hope that I could just read the scriptures and let them let them speak to us. We're going to go back to the scripture from last week, 1 Peter 1 
verses 3 to 7. Peter, during this time, this is, of course, post-resurrection. This book is written during early church years, the early Christians, and, 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 and they're in a world, they're literally, physically, in a world under Roman control. So, so they're Christians under Roman control. And so, so this church doesn't just get to be wherever they want to be. They don't just, you know, get, the, many of them, the early church, of course, too, is suffering persecution for their belief in this message. Because they're saying that Messiah Jesus is King Jesus. And the king of Rome don't want to hear that. The king of any nation don't want to hear that there's a new king because these people who are having their faith, they're putting allegiance, not just as Jesus, a man who died, but they're putting their allegiance to this guy got up out of the tomb. And, and, and there's something mystical about that. There's something spooky about that. There's something next level about that, that there's a guy that the Romans crucified, and we had guards, and we had a stone, and, and there's claims that he got out of the tomb? And then there are claims that there are hundreds of witnesses, and these witnesses believe that they saw him, and, and, and he's out of the tomb. Like, this is, this is crazy stuff. A guy that they killed, is on, he's on the loose. <laughs> he's on the loose, and he's appeared in human flesh, not as a ghost, in human flesh, and there are people that believe in him, and this is getting scary because we're telling them that we're going to kill them if they try to do anything with this belief, and they're willing to die for it. See, if someone's lying, you threaten to kill them, they give it up. You know, you got me. I'm not going to die for a lie. And so what's so compelling is that they're all willing to die which then reinforces that whatever they believe, they believe it's the truth. And so the faith of the apostles is on a foundation of truth, not just of a man who died on the cross, but it's on the foundation of truth that a man resurrected from the grave. That is what they're putting their faith in. And so this is what us Christians today also have to understand about the message that we believe. We too have to believe not only that he died in love for us, but he rose again. He literally rose from the tomb. And then because of that, scriptures say some incredible things about that. Because at that moment, you're like, whoa, Jesus is who he is. But the, but the story doesn't end that Jesus just rose out of tomb and death had no victory over him. The way the message goes is that that death also has no victory over you if you believe. And we're going to see that this is the crazy part. This is the crazy part. This is the part that is a little spooky for me. That the same way that Jesus got out of a tomb, the Bible says that we will come out of our tombs too. And not as ghosts. But flesh and blood will resurrect. That's partly crazy. <laughs> but it's full gospel. Not a third. Not three quarters. 
That's the full gospel. And that's what I want to really talk about because we don't talk about this. We just think, yes, I'm going to die and I'm just going to float into heaven. And you might float, but you're going to float in a way maybe you didn't think you were going to float there. Let's just read this. <laughs> All right. So Peter is writing to this early Roman church. Peter is known to be like the pastor, the elder, the senior, call him whatever you want to call him. But he is the, he's the pastor, but he becomes the main leadership of the church, that, the, the Christians that are believers uh, throughout the, the, the Roman Empire. And because of their faith in Jesus, they are experiencing persecutions for their faith. They don't got churches like us, and they're not making CDs, and there's no clothing yet. You know what I'm saying? Not, like, that's not, it's not, it's not, it's not open like that. It's not allowed. It's not, it's not the cool thing to do. And, and their lives are being threatened for believing in a man who is claiming to be a king, and he's resurrected. And so the church is really, is really you know, you could say it's more underground-ish. You know, they're scared for their lives. And so Peter writes the first book of Peter. If you read the first book of Peter, you will see with this language and putting it in context that he is trying to encourage a church not to fear persecution and in many ways not even to fear death. How do you tell someone who's believing in something not to fear death? And so the amazing thing is that this is, over, this is 2,000 years ago, but the message is still true for us. Why? Because truth endures from what? From generation to generation. So whether you're in Rome in 60 AD under persecution by Caesar, or you're in the United States of America under a government that maybe you don't trust, it does not matter the time. It does not matter the generation. The truth is the same. And so what he's about to say to the early church in Rome, the Christians there, this is true for the dwelling place church in Kissimmee on 192 in a small campground. It's still true. Look what he says. We read this last week. Praise be to God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. So they're afraid and they're, they're, they're maybe experiencing some anxiety and some fear because of the persecution that they might suffer or they might already be suffering. And he starts his letter by saying, praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our English translations put an exclamation point because they also see that he is confident, that he is bold, and that this sentence, he's beginning with praise to them. So think of this. You're in fear. You're in chaos, possibly. You're in anxiety. And now the man of God, the woman of God comes to you, bold, courageous, with authority and in praise. This is how we should come to our brothers and sisters for those that are experiencing those weaker moments in the journey of their faith. He says this, look, this is great theology. It's not just poetry. It's not poetry. Even though one-third of our Bible is in, in poetry, this is the theology, sound, doctrinal teaching. This is discourse teaching by Peter. Look at this. So praise to God, our Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look, in his mercy, he has given us new birth. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, right? A new creation, a new birth. That's regeneration. So there's a the theology of regeneration. But look at this. Into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
The living hope is not just through the cross. The living hope is through the resurrection. Look, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. In other words, look at this. This inheritance is, look, kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Paul is telling them, right now you can have a living hope now for an inheritance later. So how do you tell a person who is trying to, trying to believe in Jesus under persecution, might be afraid for their life, how do you encourage that person? You tell them this truth, and this is our truth today for anyone experiencing stress. You're afraid of the virus. You're afraid of, 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 of what's taking place in our world. You, you, don't, you feel no sense of security. What hope do we have? We have a living hope now, and the living hope is not that things are going to get better here. That's not what the living hope is. The living hope is that there is an inheritance in heaven. In other words, the living hope is this, that death is not the end. Death is not the end. And so as a Christian, you who believe in Jesus, us who love to sing songs and love to do revival nights and love to have encounter nights, it's this truth. Not that God is promising to answer all your earthly prayers. This is not a name it and proclaim it Christianity. That, you know, you want a car, proclaim a car. You want a miracle, proclaim a miracle. You want a healing, just say a miracle. No, that's not what the scripture is promising. It's promising an inheritance that is in heaven that cannot rust or spoil and no one can take it away from you and in that theology then that needs to tell you this is I want that it's supposed to inspire I want the thing that can never spoil I want the thing that can never rust and I want the thing that no one can take away and the theology is this that God has given it to you not man not your brother this is not your father's inheritance of a house this is not your college fund that they saved up for and it's good to do all of that but there's an inheritance that goes beyond man's inheritance and God has secured that in heaven so if you want it you got to go to heaven to get it <laughs> And if you want to go to heaven to get it, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And he said that right after the disciple asked him, how do we get to this place of many rooms? We talked about this last week. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And in my father's house, there are many rooms and there are mansions. It's like, who wants that? I mean, I see some mansions on earth and I'm like, man. If I can only imagine. <laughs> right? And so we already know that. Can you fathom what a mansion looks like in heaven? Can you fathom what any, can we, can the human mind even fathom? I don't believe that we can. And so look, this is verse 4. This inheritance is kept where? In heaven for you. And I said this last week, there are certain things that you will not get on this, in this lifetime. And you'll be like, ah, oh, that doesn't sound good. Doesn't sound good. It doesn't sound good if you, there is no hope of resurrection. Because if there's no hope of resurrection or you don't believe, look, see, this is why, our, this, is why this is so important to us as Christians. In Christianity, we have hope of eternal life. 
Those that don't have that same belief have to live to get everything now. They have to live to experience everything now. Those who do not believe in an afterlife, those that don't believe in a hope are right now, how can I I make it? What can I do so that I I could get there and I could have this and have that? And so this is, I believe, why Jesus said, don't lay up your treasures down here on earth. Don't don't, don't lay them here. Don't don't be earthly minded to those things. And so this is saying that in our Christianity, that there's an inheritance that's above here and beyond here. And so don't live to get stuff. Don't live to get earthly possessions. Don't live your life in a way trying to make it and be and you want to be famous. Who cares if you're famous on earth if it keeps you out from being an eternal life with Jesus? And at the end of the day, I don't care really if no one knew me if I'm known by my father. And he says, hey, you can come on in. The most terrible and tragic thing is that we want to be known on earth and then we're not known by God. Because we rejected the love of the father. This inheritance is kept where in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. And last week we spoke about this. Yes, there was an initial revelation of Jesus when he came in the flesh, died, buried, and rose again. But there's another revelation that we're waiting on that is yet to be revealed. That is the second coming. And when he comes that time, all the kingdoms of the earth, though generation and generation passed, and, and, and I'm sure the Caesars of Rome said, I'm glad that guy didn't show up because they said he was coming back. <laughs> Do you know that? They were saying that he's coming back because Jesus had told them that he was going to return. They, they didn't, he didn't tell them if it was in their generation or not. Obviously, historically, we know his, he didn't return in their generation. But I'm glad all the kingdoms and the kings on the death of I'm sure glad I didn't have to face that guy. But the Bible tells us that he is going to appear. He's going to come like a thief in the night, the Bible says, and we're going to read it. And he's going to come in glory for his church. And the kingdoms and the nations and the forces of this earth are going to tremble. And every eye is going to see and be like, oh, it was Jesus. And that's either going to be a day of great rejoicing or it's going to be a day of great horror for our world. Okay, look at verse 6. And all of this greatly rejoice. And all of what? And all of the truth of this? And all of, uh, all of the, the theology of this? And also including, inclusive of all of your sufferings. So in the truth of this, in light of your afflictions, rejoice or greatly rejoice. Look, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. That's what the church in Rome is experiencing, grief and trials. And he's telling them, greatly rejoice. Why greatly rejoice in the midst of this is because there's an inheritance. The end is not the end. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes, perishes even though refined by fire, look at this, may result in what? In the end. How did he start writing this? Look, verse 3 says, praise be to God. Now he's saying all of this suffering, but not suffering alone. All of this suffering together with the revelation of truth. 
That's the difference right there. The difference of the suffering is that it's accompanied by a hope and a, 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 a word of inheritance and truth that Jesus is going to be revealed again. So the suffering together with the truth may result, look, in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Yesterday night, I said, let me just read my, I prepared the rest of my notes, and it was just, today's just a continuation of last week just to close off. And so last night, I laid in my bed, it was late, I said, I'm just going to read First Peter again. I read it like 10,000 times already, right? So I'm just going to read it again, and then I kept reading, I just kept reading, I just kept reading, and I'm on my, on my app, and I'm just highlighting this one green, highlighting that one pink, I like, I highlight this one blue. <laughs> I just highlight, I, realized, I just highlighted the whole book. <laughs> I highlighted the whole book, and I finished the whole book in just a few minutes. But it begins with this foundation, and the theme you will see, read it, do it tonight, read, read first, first, first Peter. You will see the encouragement through their suffering. So, this is just a, a new humanity, a hope of resurrection. That was the title last week, if you were not here. A hope of resurrection. That's what we're talking about. There's a hope of resurrection, and this is just part two of it. And so glorification we spoke about. The hope of the resurrection, right? Because we talked about justification, sanctification, and now we're talking about glorification. What is glorification? Glorification, uh, here's a definition, is resurrection. Look, after death incomplete righteousness. And so while we're being sanctified on earth, that is us answering the call to be holy as our Father in heaven is holy. So as Christians, we're working. I've been saying this over the, over the past few weeks. If you don't know what your calling is, I don't know, am I an evangelist? Am I an apostle? Am I the prophet? You know, <laughs> am I the pastor or the teacher? You know, am I the miracle worker? Do I, do I, am I the one who blows on people when they fall? You're trying, to figure out which, you're trying to figure out which one you are. Well, in the midst of your discovery, which I believe God will reveal to you, just as you pursue him, in the midst of that, 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says this, this is the will of God, even your sanctification. So, so God's will for you now, God's calling for us now, one is we have the great commission, and two, accompanied by, well, I have the great commission, but I don't have a calling, and so I feel half empty trying to deliver the great commission. Well, guess what? You have the great commission and you have your sanctification. The process of you becoming holy. That is the character of God being built up in you. And so then as you go out to fulfill the great commission, to make disciples of the nation, teaching them to observe everything that Jesus instructed, you pack that up with sanctification. Oh, trust me, baby, you got a lot to offer to this world. Okay? So sanctification is our present calling on top of whatever else God calls you into. But we're being sanctified, this process of, 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 of righteousness and in holiness, but the completion and the fulfillment of that will only, hear me, only take place in glorification. Glorification is not the process anymore. Is not the trying anymore. It's not the striving anymore against the flesh and the spirit. Because when we're glorified, the, that's it. There's, we're going to see, you get your, even your body is transformed. See, in Christ, your mind is transformed. 
And so now you got your mind and then you got your body attached to earth. And so your, 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 your flesh is still tied down, uh, you know, and, 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 and in a sense, you know, you're connected to the world. Uh, the, 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 the wickedness of the world is all around you and it's trying to drag you back in. But you're trying to be sanctified unto the nature and to the image of God. But in glorification, the Bible tells us this truth, too, that God is making heaven and earth new again. And all the workers of iniquity, the man of lawlessness, the antichrist, the beast, Satan and his angels and all the wicked people that make up the evilness, they're all being thrown into the pit of hell. The lake of hell is thrown into the lake of fire, whatever that means. And that's awesome, right? But it's all going away. It's all going away. Listen, all going away. And then your body is, is made new and your mind has already been renewed in Christ Jesus. And so you got a new mind in a new body, in a new heaven, in a new earth. Talk about glorification. And you live in a new house too. And in my heaven, pizza has no carbs. I name it and proclaim it. Don't tell me pastor can't have faith for the impossible. Don't tell me pastor can't. <laughs> the spirit of evangelism coming over me, changing my tone and everything. All right. All right. So glorification is resurrection after death in complete righteousness. So here we go. We're just going to run now. So to get to glorification, Jesus told his disciples, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Because he told them, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And they asked him, how? We don't even know the way. Where are you going so we can get that? Right? They're like, okay, you're going away to prepare a place. He wasn't talking uh, in, the, in, in their present time. He wasn't talking about a natural house. Right? He was, he was talking about something beyond what, what their minds could understand. And so they said, how? We don't even know the way there. So in other words, if you build it, how are we going to get there? If you go make this house, how am I going to get there? And then Jesus says, I am the way there. And so you know where Jesus goes? Right after that, he goes to the cross. Right after that, look at this. He passes through death. See, so all of us want to get to heaven, but no one wants to die. Everyone wants the house and the mansion, and everyone wants the glory, but no one wants to die. And so you can't want to live forever here. And that sounds terrible, but if you have hope in Jesus Christ, then there is a way for you to live forever. You just have to be willing to die in this lifetime. And so this is why then you do not have fear. The, a Christian should not have fear of death. And so last week, I enforced so much on, we have to die to get there. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So he was also implying, though you see that I'm going to die, I'm not going to stay dead. But follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me. And so he went through death, and they didn't follow him. Peter denied them three times on the way, went running to other disciples. All, you, all we have in the Gospels is that John, Jesus' mother, and Mary were there. The rest of the disciples, didn't, they didn't even follow to look. Because they're like, I don't see no house that way. I see crosses. 
And when I see crosses under Roman Empire, that means death. That doesn't mean life. And Jesus was trying to get past what they were able to see naturally, physically. He said, I am the way, I am the life. And so he goes to the cross and he passes through death. Christian, you're a Christian, you're a Christian. You sing songs, we sing songs, we jump high and we shout loud. Okay, that needs to be accompanied by we're not afraid of death and we're not afraid of suffering. We're not afraid of persecution. That's what it really means to be a Christian. And though the world has uncertainties and though you don't know which news to read and you don't trust CNN and you don't trust the government here, that is okay. Don't let that be the overwhelming factor of your life. Whether it's all lies, whether the virus is real or not, whether you trust what you hear or not, the, the defining factor in what's leading your life is not whatever the world is telling you. It's the truth that there's no fear in death, and I'm going to follow Christ through death because I believe that there's an inheritance on the other side. And if I believe the message of the cross, I got to believe the full gospel that he rose from the grave also. And there are promises associated to his resurrection. The promise associated to his cross is that his blood was the remission of sins. And you believe that. You believe that. That's how it helps. That's how you get over guilt and shame. And you're able to see and believe that God has new plans and new life for you, right? You believe that, right? You believe. So don't just believe a third of the message. Believe the whole package of the message, too, that when we die, there's an inheritance for us. But we got to pass through death. St. Augustine said this. Look at this. We want to reach the kingdom of God or heaven, right? We want to reach the kingdom of God, but we don't want to travel by way of death. And he, and he continued to say, and yet there stands necessity. So we want to reach the kingdom, but we don't want to travel by, we don't want to die. He goes, and yet there stands necessity. In other words, death is the necessity, okay? And yet there stands necessity. Death saying, this way, please, do not hesitate man to go this way when this is the way that God came for you. <laughs> Say it again? Okay. We want to reach the kingdom of God. In other words, we all want to go to heaven. But we don't want to travel by way of death. But no man wants to die. And yet there stands necessity saying, yet what is, necess what is necessary, though, this way, please, do not hesitate. Man, go this way when this is the way that God came for you. He came for us through his death. But God is so powerful that when Pontius Pilate said, say something, don't you release I have the power? I have, I ha don't you realize that I have the power to release you or have you crucified? Jesus said, brother, you will have no power. No. Unless heaven, my father, me say so. You have no power over me. Jesus said, no one takes my life. He said, I lay it down and I bring it right back up. So don't think you, 
Don't think you're hanging me. Don't think you're nailing me. Don't think you're crucifying me. I am laying down my life for my sheep. Romans 6.23. Benjamin, perfect. (laughs) Paul in Romans 6.23, very familiar passage of scripture, but loaded with theology. Don't just say it to say it because it sounds cool, but understand this. The wages of sin is what? But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. You can't put, you can't put, there's no further extremes to be associated together in one sentence. One extreme, the wage of sin is death. Gift of God, eternal life. How does Paul, how is Paul able to write those two together in one sentence? Because he understands the inheritance of man to man, but he also understands the inheritance of God through Jesus to man. Earthly inheritance, man to man, we leave death. The psalmist said, I was born and shapen in iniquity and, and, and sinned and my mother conceived me. We spoke about this last week, that the inheritance that we give is sin and sin nature. And so you, I, I gave this warning last week. I'll give it again. Just consider this when you bring children into the world. You're giving them a natural sin nature that, that they're going to inherit when at birth. And you're putting them into a world that is filled of just more sin. And so your great responsibility of a parent is not giving them a college fund, buying them a house, and giving them everything they wanted. You can do that, but let all of that be on the foundation that you realize that you have shaped them in sin and you brought them into sin, and we must do everything in our power to give them eternal life and give the message of Jesus to them. So parents, as we seek out to be evangelists to the world, don't do that in the neglect of the evangelism and the gospel that needs to be preached to your children who you just brought in here. Because the way the truth goes is anyone, we all have sin fallen short of the glory of God. If we do not have Jesus Christ as our Savior in the end, we have chosen to reject that inheritance. God's not taking it away from you. You have chosen that you don't want it. And so the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through what? In Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 5, 12, 18 through 19 say this, and we read this last week. Therefore, look, this is about the inheritance. What is left? Therefore, just as through one man, this is Adam, sin entered the world and death through sin and thus death spread to all men. That's the inheritance. That's it. The sin, it's just spread. No child after Adam came out perfect. Beautifully, they were made because because God is also the creator. But the sin nature that is in man is just passed on to our children. And so you don't ever have to teach a child to be bad. But parents, you know, by five months, you got to teach them to be good. (laughs) Facts. (laughs) Look, and thus death spread to all men because all have sinned. And so at the end of the day, you're like, oh, I'm a sinner because my dad was a sinner. And darn you, Adam, you made me this way. (laughs) Paul doesn't leave out because all have sinned. And so even past being children, when we get our minds a little mature, even as an adult, then we, we choose and we sin. So no man is without excuse. We can't just blame Adam. We just understand the inheritance passed down, but all man has personal responsibility for their own sin. 
God is not saying you're out because of Adam. He's saying you're out because you have sinned too. Verse 18 says, therefore, and this is the beautiful news. So Romans 5.12 helps us to understand the first portion of Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. But now Romans 5.18 through 19 help us to understand the, the, the latter half of the verse, but the gift of God is eternal life. Look at verse 18 of Romans 5. Therefore, as through one man's offense... Or sin, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even through one man's, look at this, talking about Jesus, righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in the justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many were made righteous. The church should praise God, worship God, celebrate God. Man's inheritance to you made you a sinner and, and, and the inheritance condemns you. Jesus' inheritance makes you alive and makes you righteous and that's what's going to bring you into the inheritance of resurrection and eternity. And so our hope is that we are resurrected as Christ was. This is, this is where it gets really good. Because it's not only that Jesus resurrected and we know he resurrected because he appeared to his disciples and he didn't appear to them as a ghost. Understand this, resurrection is not reincarnation. It's not dependent if you were good or bad here, you know, then you come back as a strong lion because you were brave and courageous. But if you were, you know, I don't know, weak, puny, and, you know, didn't do anything, and you were evil, now you come back as an ant, and now the lion steps on you in the afterlife. Uh, in our Christian faith, resurrection is not reincarnation, where, where you're going to be made something depending on if you were good here, then you level up to some other kind of entity, or if you were bad here in this earthly human life, now you're going to come back as a, you know, a meaningless thing, and now you're going to experience the consequence of that. In our Christian faith, you die as a body you were given a life-given spirit through Jesus and 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 Jesus shows his real power not in that he resurrects you as a ghost or as a grasshopper or as a butterfly one day but he picks up the same body and he resurrects you from the grave just as he rose from the grave and when he saw his disciples and they were like they couldn't even believe it and he was standing in front of them he said look handle me touch me flesh and bones for a ghost does not have flesh and bones and then he get, he said give me some fish Watch this. And he ate the fish in front of them. And then he said, where's the bathroom? <laughs> Who knows? Luke didn't write, but I'm just saying. He said, give me the fish and I'll eat. He said, a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones, and I do. In the other gospel, he said, he said touch my scars. He showed them where the nails were, in, and they were able to see it. And he had a physical body. It was, that's why I said this gets like next level. Jesus didn't reincarnate. He resurrected. And everything that the human flesh was subjected to in his earthly life and no longer was subjected to in the afterlife. He was glorified. He had marks, but the marks weren't hurting him. He had marks, but he was no longer bound by the pain of the marks anymore. He had flesh and bone, but they couldn't be whipped anymore. He had flesh and bone, and he had hair, and he had hands, and he had all that stuff, but he wasn't going to grow tired anymore. It was a resurrection of his body. The same Jesus, but next level Jesus. 
God is literally going to resurrect you, but not same you, next level you. You don't, I know that's so hard to believe, but we have to believe that Jesus really resurrected. And, 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 and you know what happened? And, and, and during that time, right, the, 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 those countries there, you had the early, early church and you had Jews who had converted and you had Gentiles who had converted. But, 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 but the, the, the surrounding, right, on the Roman government had, had believed the influences of Greek culture. And in Greek culture, they believed that, the, you know, the flesh is evil. The body, human flesh is evil. Only, only spirit, only special beings only that can be good and so when the message of jesus started to come out that jesus resurrected they're like okay whatever but when they started to speak the message that 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 we too are going to be resurrected our bodies are going to be resurrected there was pushback on that why because they understood that the body the flesh was evil so then there was like pushback no 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 um yeah we could accept that you're gonna turn into a spiritual being and a spiritual entity and we're cool with us being spiritual god Gods and stuff like that. But don't talk about no human being coming out the tomb. Because why? The flesh is bad. And so in the message of the gospel, the truth of the gospel is, and to me this just shows the redemptive work and the power of God, that God doesn't have to turn you into Casper, the friendly, saved, baptized, holy-filled ghost, that he can redeem humanity. And, and the gift of God to man in creation was his body. It was his body. The Bible says that when he created man, it says that he formed him from the dust of the earth. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And God says, you know what? Satan, I'm not going to let you win. I'm not going to let you win in any kind of way. You destroyed man, and you destroyed his body, and you sent his body to death. But I'm so powerful, I'm so loving, and my plan is going to prevail over anything that you could have ever done to destroy my creation. I'm not just going to resurrect their spirit. I'm going to resurrect their body. And I'm going to resurrect the earth, and I'm going to make it new, and I'm going to make their bodies new. That's how much God cares for everything about you in your creation. But the same way how I believe that Jesus' scars weren't causing him pain, is how we also believe with our bodies, the back pain will go away. The headaches, the migraines will go away. The cancers will be gone. The heart problems, the back issues, all the aches and pains of this world. It's only when we enter into final glorification that that'll all be away. And that is why it's a hope for us. I'm not just hoping so I have a, a car that flies in heaven and gluten-free pizza. More than those things with earthly connotations, the real glorification is that we are in the pure image of God without pain and without suffering, glorifying God to the praise and honor and glory of who he is, and us ruling on earth and in heaven as one together in eternal life with Jesus. That is what glorification is. I want you on your own to read 1 Corinthians 15. I'm going to read verse 12 and 13 and 14, but I want you to, when you go home, read 1 Peter. But read 1 Corinthians 15 because Paul elaborately explains, no, this is going to be a real resurrection of your body. Look how he starts, verse 12. Now, if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? For the message was already out, and it was being preached that Jesus rose from the dead. And the continuation of that message is that you too will also raise from the dead. So 
He's, he's pushing back against their pushback that, that the earthly body is not going to raise. It's just going to be a spirit, a, a spirit thing. He says, now if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? He says, but if, look what he says, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. He said, so he's going on to say, if we don't resurrect, then Christ hasn't risen either. But he's going to say, but if Christ rose from the dead, then there's a resurrection for us. He's saying you can't have one without the other. We can, you can't believe that, yes, Jesus rose from the dead because he is, you know, him and God, and that's cool, but you're not going to believe that his children can rise too? He's like, no, you got to believe that there is a resurrection of the dead. He goes, then Christ is not risen. He goes, and if Christ is not risen, look, risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. So he's saying, if the tomb isn't empty, if Jesus didn't raise, then the preaching is empty. If the tomb still has his bones, if the tomb isn't empty, then your preaching, our preaching is empty. But the reason why our preaching is full is because the tomb is empty and Christ rose from the dead. I really want to read this to you. It's 12.03, so I'm not. Verse 20. But now Christ is risen from the dead, look, and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. In other words, those who have died. Verse 21. For since by man came death, Adam by man, meaning Jesus, also came the resurrection of the dead. For look, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. And so I put this in my notes. The cross, the blood, right? That was the payment, okay? But the resurrection is the receipt. The blood and the cross is the payment for your sin and for my sin. But the solidifying thing to establish the transaction of what God did, his resurrection is the receipt that it's paid in full and the work is complete. I'm going to skip my team in the back to 2 Corinthians 5, verse 5. And so we have assurance of this resurrection. In 2 Corinthians 5, I'm going to read this to you. It says, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands. Look at this. Eternal in the heavens. He's contrasting. He's he's contrasting. He's, he's not contrasting body and spirit. He's contrasting body that you and I were given by our parents, and he's going to contrast that with resurrection body given by God. That's so good. <laughs> Look, for we know that if our earthly house, this tent, in other words, the bodies that were given to us by, the, by, by, by our parents, right, your human body, a human gave birth to you, I hope. I'm not teaching you anything new, right? Uh, so that, we know that if that earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, right? It says we have a building from God. So in other words, you have a body that's been given to you by our parents that we're born in. But he's going on to say, but we have a building. 
He called the body that your parents gave you a tent, but God is going to give us a building from God. Look at this. A house not made with hands. In other words, the next body you're going to receive is not going to be one that your parent has to give birth to you. After death, your parents don't have to give birth to you, and that's how you, you're new in eternal life. No, you're going to be given a body. Look at this. For in this we groan earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we should not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groaned, groaned, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Verse 5. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has also given us the spirit as a guarantee. Now look at this. He's given us the spirit as his guarantee. Because you might say, well, how in the world is God going to resurrect my body? Some of us just naturally believe that in faith. Say, oh, I, just, I just trust him at his word. But there's some of us who are thinkers. And some of us who say, that's, that's, I believe in Jesus. And I, I'm accepting him as my savior. But really, this body is going to rise again? Let's ask this question first. Can the spirit of God be killed? Can the spirit of God cease? No. In our understanding of truth, God is eternal from everlasting to everlasting. In our theology, we also believe as Christians that God has no beginning and he has no end. We also believe that Jesus, right? Jesus said this, I go away, but I'm going to leave you someone, the spirit of truth. We also have in scripture in the New Testament that the same spirit, right, that rose Jesus from the dead, right, and from the grave, now lives in where? In you. How in the world, God, are you going to pull this one off? How are you going to resurrect my body? What does he do while we're alive in this lifetime? When we say yes to Jesus and yes to his cross, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit comes into us. God is not six feet around you with a mask on for social distancing purposes. He's on the inside of you. And the Spirit of God cannot cease, nor can it die. And so you, because of sin, are sentenced to death. So you're going to die. But by God putting the Spirit of God inside of you, that means you don't die alone. And so what's going to happen is this earthly body is going to die and Satan is going to persecute you and maybe the world's going to come against us one day and try to burn down all the churches and maybe some of us will have to die for Jesus. But here is why we have hope of an inheritance because before this lifetime ends, God put his Holy Spirit on the inside of you that can never die, never cease. So when they kill this body, they kill it. But with God on the inside of me, and just like God, there's going to be a time when we're in the grave and there's going to be a funeral and there's going to be a burial and your family's going to cry. But the Holy Spirit is on the inside of you. And on that day, when the trumpet sounds, the dead in Christ shall rise first. God said, I'm going to put my spirit on the inside of you. And so this is why when they kill you, they don't really kill you because you can't kill. The spirit of God cannot cease. And when God blows the whistle, guess what, baby? Everyone from the time of Jesus and after will come up and rise in glory. Read 1 Corinthians 15. You're going to see. Anyone who is alive at the second coming, those are the only other people who are not going to die. 
It says they're going to be caught up. They're going to see Jesus. You're going to blow the trumpet, the sound of the archangel, the sound of the last trump, and the twinkling of an eye, <laughs> all that good stuff. One person's out in the field. The other person is doing this. Boom. The, right? Whoever is alive at the time, those that are in Christ, will, but those that sleep. So either way, whether he comes in this generation or that generation, and we're all saying, these are the last days. I know it. These are, every generation said it. The, the disciples in the early church believed they were in the last days. But it does not matter which generation because the truth is transcends generation. And so if I die and Christ hasn't come, don't worry. You're just sleeping. This is why he calls it sleep. There's the guarantee. It said it. He goes, look, verse 5 again. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has also given us the spirit as his guarantee. His spirit in you is the guarantee that you're going to rise again. So even though you're getting older and your hair's getting grayer and you're getting more pains and you go to the doctor more often than ever before, it's okay. The spirit of God is on the inside of you. And don't see death. I've been saying this. Don't see death as the end. But I'm I'm drawing closer, closer to the transition of eternal life where we get to cross over. So this is why also we have hope. In death, when others that we love who die are in Christ, the Spirit is the guarantee. That they receive, this is why when you receive Christ, you don't just receive Christ alone and just a man's work and, and, and good favor of you. No, God, who is, who, is, who is the Spirit, who is the Son, the Trinity, who understands that, right? We kind of do, but right, all of that, God gave us His Spirit. And so Paul was trying to say, if Jesus rose from the dead, real resurrection, and now his spirit is on the inside of you, why wouldn't you believe that we would rise again? Again, we're not coming back as sanctified Casper. It's sanctified you. It's holy you. It's righteous you coming up. It's glorified you. That is glorification for the believer. And can you imagine all the rest of eternity glorified as you, us glorified with our loved ones, those that are in Christ Jesus, in a beautiful heaven and earth that our minds can't even wrap our minds on. I'll finish with this verse here. I had so many. Let's see. Which one I want to read. Read also 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18. Write that down. Read Philippians 3, verses 20 to 21. Romans 8, 11, I'll read that one, then read another one. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, look, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is what? Living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to what? Not your spiritual bodies, your mortal bodies, because of the spirit who is the guarantee in the other verse, it lives in you. Here's the last verse, Romans 8, 29 to 30. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Verse 30, moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called, whom he called, look at this, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. That is the full gospel. Justification declared righteous in the sight of God when we come to Jesus. 
And God is so wonderful that he's not just thinking of now. He is thinking of your now. I said this last week. He is. And the things that are real to you are real to God. But it's so important that us as believers in him understand the bigger picture. I'm not telling him not, I'm not telling you not to pray for the trials and the calamities that you have here on earth. I'm not telling you that they're not real. I am telling you not to worry. Jesus says, worry about today. Tomorrow has its own worry. You'll get your wor worry when you get there. You know, deal with it when you get there. The reason why God tells you that is because he also knows that this life in comparison to eternity is but this small. But this small. And so I have this lifetime to trust in Jesus, the one who can save me, the one who died for me, the one who loves me. He's not just creator God that can speak the cosmos into existence. He's also the God that left his heavens and the splendor of his glory and took off his robe and stepped down from his throne room and came through the chambers of the heavens and came to earth and created us. And when we lost and chose wisdom for ourselves and made ourselves God, and you see the cycle through the story of the Bible, man choosing wisdom for himself always leads to death. That when we go that far, it's God who comes for the prodigal son. It's God the Father who, who, who is running out to meet us. And so today I tell this whole message to present to you the gospel that Christ died for you. We believe in justification made possible through the cross. Man cannot pay for his sins. We can't do good to outdo the bad. We live in a world where we just count manifestations of evil. God, who sees everything, he counts the, the intents of the heart. And so maybe we're not manifesting evil outwardly, but man, we still need saving internally too. We didn't kill our brother, but we hate our brother, and that's sin to God. We didn't commit adultery out in the flesh, but inwardly we lust after others. We just committed sexual immorality in our hearts. That needs saving too. Right? We didn't, we didn't punch our sister, but we're envious of her. That needs salvation too. Right? The Bible teaches us that all have sinned. And yes, there are different levels of, that we might say as sin, but all, all sin needs saving. And so it's not for us to be ashamed of, but it's for us to know that we need a Savior. And the Bible teaches us that the Savior loves us, and he's not out just to punish us at the end. He offers himself to us through his son, Jesus. And in the end, we either receive the inheritance that he has for us, for those who believe, or in the end, if we reject his love here, then the inheritance is the inheritance of the rest of the evil, wicked world. And so last week I asked the question, which inheritance do you want? Do we want Adam's inheritance? That is life, death, and condemnation apart from God for all eternity? Or do we want the inheritance that God offers through his son Jesus, which is eternal life and resurrection and glorification? God allows us to choose that. And so today, this is God reaching out to you and to your soul. This is not about your mother. This is not about your dad. This is not about your friend being a Christian. And this is not about the pastor being a Christian. This is about Jesus inviting you to himself. And when you come to God, all things are new. You're a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. And you begin a new life on this earth justified, called on to sanctification, and then the church is here to help you and guide you to that. 
This is why God put the church here. This is why there's leadership. This is why there's eldership. This is why the, the, the old men teach the young guys and the young and the older women teach, teach the younger. The discipleship is important. There are churches that don't believe in discipleship anymore. I heard a pastor just say that. They don't believe in discipleship. Said so Jesus didn't have what? He had three years of discipleship with those guys. Don't tell me he didn't have no discipleship class. <laughs> and so God provides you a church for discipleship. Because the journey is not easy. And let me tell you, it will cost you everything. To forsake yourself, to deny yourself, does cost you something. But today, in the message, whatever you forsake in this lifetime will not compare to the inheritance. Amen. No one can steal that. Amen. It will not rust. It will not fade away. Paul said, I count all these gains as garbage in compared to the surpassing glory that is ahead. So today, your head's about... I just want to offer Christ Jesus to any person in here who doesn't know God personally, today I invite you to just give yourself to him. Usually church has a formula of how to do that. Today I just tell you that just open up your heart and ask Jesus to come in, acknowledge the cross. Understand today that the gospel is a full message of the cross, the burial, and the resurrection. His cross, he died in our place. He didn't deserve death. We do for our sin, but he died for our sin he was in a tomb but then he got up the receipt the receipt of our salvation and so if you ask God you welcome Jesus into your heart he is faithful to come in and the Holy Spirit will flood you that is how your sanctification and your new life is even possible that's how regeneration is even possible because there's a new man on the inside of you the Holy Spirit with you transforming you. You're transformed by the worship. You're transformed by the word of God. You're transformed by the community of believers around you. And so I invite you into all of this. That is the gospel. And we also know that in that, God does have plan and purpose for you in this lifetime. And as he transforms your life, he will use your life to be a light to others and to transform the world around you also. And so though it will cost everything, though we will endure sufferings and persecutions we also will not have fear in the journey for we have a hope of resurrection and if it's a hope given by God and his word then more than a hope it's a promise of resurrection that is the future glorification that is for you and for all of us who put our faith in Jesus so just welcome him in and today we celebrate any life that say yes to Jesus. If there's anyone that's not afraid, just raise your hand. If that was you, you said, man, I just chose Jesus for myself. Would you just raise your hand? If there's anyone watching online, let's just celebrate. Hopefully someone will see this even in the future and give their life to Jesus. And there's something to praise God for now. So we just thank you. I thank you for your time and your patience with me. Uh, love you guys. Thank everyone who is here. God bless you and keep pushing forward and we welcome you to continue this journey with us. In your Christianity, it can only be done together with the Holy Spirit and with one another. And so God bless you. We love you guys. Thank you.